I'm going to go off on a limb here and say that at some point or another in your life, someone has told you, or maybe you've read about it, that God loves you and that God forgives you. Have you ever heard that before? Well, let me ask you something. Do you believe that God loves you and that God forgives you? That no matter what you have done or what you will do, that God loves you enough to extend forgiveness to you? Do you believe that? Wholeheartedly, do you believe that? In his book, The Good and Beautiful God by James Bryan Smith, he says that there is only one thing that separates us from God, and it's not sin. It's our inability to accept God's love and God's forgiveness. Let me read that one more time. The only thing that separates us from God is not sin. It's our inability to accept God's love and God's forgiveness. Let me ask you, is that true for you? Do you ever struggle to accept God's love and forgiveness? Do you think this quote is is true? I know I have. I know that there have been times in my life when I have looked to God and I've said, wow, God, do you really forgive me for that? Do you you really uh, uh, forgive me and love me despite what I've done? You know, it's in those moments that I am reminded that God really does love love me so much that he extends forgiveness to me, even to me. And really all I have to do is accept God's love and God's forgiveness. Let me give you an example of that in Scripture. In, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says this, If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, God loves us so much, the Scripture tells us, that when we mess up, when we sin, all we need to do is confess our sins and accept God's forgiveness. Let me give you another example of how uh, God's love and forgiveness works in this way. In our communion liturgy in the, in the United Methodist Church, we say this uh, in, uh, in one of the prayers. It says, Christ our Lord invites to his table all those who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin, and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and before one another. In this invitation, we acknowledge that when we confess our sins, God embraces us and forgives us. And we believe God does this because we trust and we know and we believe that God's love for us is just that big. You know, I think that that is the God Jesus knows a God who loves us so much that he extends forgiveness over and over and over and over and over and over again. In John chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus is talking to a guy named Nicodemus. And in verse 16, uh, he says this. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Now, there's probably a good chance you've heard that verse before, but have you ever wondered what follows that verse? Here's what John chapter 3, verse 17 through 21 say. It says, Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, 
that the light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. In other words, what Jesus is telling us here is that God is not trying to condemn us. God isn't trying to make us feel guilty or bad for our mistakes. On the contrary, what Jesus tells us is that God's objective, God's goal, is to save us from our sin, to remove any guilt we may carry, and to lead us down a path where our sins may never again have power over us. But he says, even though God does this, sometimes people choose darkness over light. Jesus says, God loves you, God forgives us, but sometimes people, people choose evil over good. And he says in those moments, people condemn themselves. People keep themselves in darkness. You see, Jesus reminds us through these verses that God offers forgiveness and not condemnation. Let me read the beginning of this, uh, these, these verses again. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. See, God loves us in such a way that he continues to extend forgiveness to us over and over and over and over again. And the hope is that in the end, we will say yes to God, we will embrace God's love and forgiveness, and then we'll experience life the way it was meant to be experienced. I don't know about you, but I find these six verses very comforting. Because through these verses, Jesus makes it very clear that the God he knows isn't trying to condemn you and I. He's offering forgiveness. So, so whatever you feel like you're being condemned for, I, I want you to hear me say this. God is offering you forgiveness. You see, through these verses, Jesus, the, the God Jesus knows, what he tells us about the God Jesus knows, is that God doesn't hold my past over me or you, that God isn't uh, constantly trying to remind us of who we used to be. You see, the God Jesus knows and depicts through these verses is a God who looks at you and I and says, you are forgiven, and then shows us the possibility of what life could look like if we simply accept God's love and God's forgiveness. Now, if you've ever done anything that you just thought to yourself, I really messed up this time, these verses are comforting. If you have ever found yourself in a place where you think to yourself, does God really love me and can God forgive me? These verses are very comforting because Jesus says, just accept God's love. Accept God's forgiveness. I said earlier that in his book, James Bryan Smith says that the only thing that keeps us from God is our inability, our struggle to accept God's love and forgiveness. And I've got to tell you, I think he's right. You see, I think for many of us, 
I think it's a little bit easier, easier, I'm going to say that twice, to um, grasp this idea that God loves me, right, and God forgives me, right? We, we like it when God's love and forgiveness is about me. But I think sometimes we struggle to realize just how big God's love and forgiveness is, in particular, when it's regarding other people. Let me explain. Have you ever heard of a guy named Adolf Hitler? After World War I, Germany entered a season of paying reparations, uh, making amends with the rest of the world, and even trying to figure out who they were after losing World War I. And, and during this time, there was a lot of turmoil in Germany. Some people were glad the war was over and they were looking for stability and hoping to move forward. Others were upset that the war had been lost and wanted to continue fighting, continue pushing forward. And this sparked a debate which grew more and more and more every single year until 1932, when no uh, party in Germany had enough of a majority to elect a chancellor. There were so many parties that had come out of uh, after World War I that uh, there was no single party that had enough people to elect a chancellor. And after much persuasion, the German president appointed Adolf Hitler as chancellor of Germany. And this is important because um, at the time, it was the chancellor who had all the power in Germany and not the president. I read a couple articles about how the president was more for public eye, trying to bring unity within the country, but, but the chancellor had uh, authority over uh, the army and had authority over the government. Well, uh, soon after Hitler is uh, appointed as chancellor, German leaders began passing a whole bunch of laws, um, which uh, eventually led them to becoming a one-country dictatorship with Hitler having absolute power. And it was out of that place that Hitler began to lead, in Germany, uh, lead Germany on a mission towards eliminating Jewish people and establishing a new world order in which Germans stood at the top. Now, this set the stage for World War II, and on September 1st, 1939, six years after Hitler took power, Germany invaded Poland. As a response to that, the United Kingdom and France declared war on Germany in hopes of stopping their advancement, but things just got worse. In the next couple years, Germany began to invade more and more of Europe, while more and more allied countries banded together uh, to, to defend the world. Until May 8, 1945, Hitler got married soon after, committed suicide, and then soon after that, the German army surrendered. Now, in the end, after World War II was all said and done, it is estimated that more than 60 million people died in that war. I've seen some articles that say up to like 75 million people died in that war. And the sad part is that the majority of these deaths were civilian deaths. Many, if not all of these deaths, were caused by Hitler's leadership and policies. Nazi Germany under Hitler was responsible for the Holocaust, for atrocious acts of genocide, for mass bombings, for disease, and even starvation. One article I read even stated that many people view Hitler as the literal incarnation of evil because of the amount of blood that was shed under his leadership. Look, I think you and I can both agree that Hitler was an evil man. Which is why what Jesus says to Nicodemus 
is so important. Let me read it one more time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. I want you to think on those words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. See, the God Jesus knows offers forgiveness, not condemnation. That's why he says that they may not perish but have eternal life. The God Jesus knows offers forgiveness, not condemnation. And if that's true, and I believe it is, that means that the God Jesus knows extends love and forgiveness to the people that we seem that we deem least worthy of it, including someone like Adolf Hitler. Now, here's the deal. Just because God extends love and forgiveness does not mean that what Hitler did was okay. I want you to hear me say that. Just because God extends love and forgiveness to Hitler does not mean that what he did was okay. God doesn't just give us a get-out-of-free-jail free card, right, when, whenever we mess up, right? It's not like we can just go to God and say, hey, I'm sorry, and not really mean it, right? Like, th that's not the way it works. It does mean, though, that when we approach God asking for forgiveness, when we genuinely approach God asking for forgiveness, God is going to extend forgiveness and love to us every single time, even if you're Adolf Hitler. Now, I say this for three reasons, but I want you to hear me really closely through these three. The first reason is it's possible that someone may have hurt you or someone that you love. And look, I know that it's really hard to forgive people sometimes. And sometimes it takes a long time, and sometimes I've heard a lot of people say, I've tried to forgive them my whole life, and I've never been able to. Forgiving is hard. So I want you to hear me say this. When I say that God forgives them too, right? when I say God forgives even people like Hitler, I'm not saying that what they did was okay. I am simply saying that if they genuinely ask God for forgiveness, God will extend it. Because that's the God Jesus knows. The second reason I share this is because if God extends love and forgiveness even to someone like Hitler, do you not believe that God will extend love and forgiveness to you and I? And the third reason I bring this up is because I want you to understand just how much God loves us. See, when Jesus says to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world, Jesus really does mean what he says, the world. Friends, God's love is so big. God's forgiveness is so wide that he extends them even to the people we think are the least deserving. That is how loving and forgiving the God Jesus knows is. Which brings up an important question. Are you willing to believe that God's love and God's forgiveness is radical enough to be offered not just to you and I, but even to people who we deem unworthy of God's love and forgiveness? Let me ask that again because it's important. Are you willing to believe that God's love and forgiveness is radical enough 
to be offered not just to you and I, but even to people that we deem unworthy of God's love and forgiveness. And let me tell you why our answer to that question is so important. If we are brave enough to believe that the God Jesus knows extends love and forgiveness to all people, then that really changes everything about how we should love and forgive each other, even those we think are unworthy of our love and our forgiveness. Think about that. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, I am so thankful that you are a loving and forgiving God. God, I pray that in the moments when it's hard to forgive someone, in the moments when we look at people and say, they're not worthy of your love, God, they're not worthy of, the, of forgiveness, God, help us extend love and forgiveness to them, just as you extend love and forgiveness to all of us. God, you are loving and forgiving. And sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes we wish you weren't, but you are. So God, help us embrace how big and how wide your love and forgiveness go. And may we live uh, imitating that same love and forgiveness towards others. God, I pray this in your most precious and most glorious name. Amen. Well, look, this, this topic can be difficult to talk about at times. It's not always easy to talk about forgiveness, and particularly when we talk about how forgiving God is and how loving God is. And so if you want to go deeper into this, um, I want to give you an opportunity to do so. And there's two ways that you can do that. One is by joining a small group. Uh, our small groups talk about our, these sermons and, and go deeper into this conversation. So if you haven't joined a small group, email us at info at midcity.church, and we'll get you connected to a, to a small group. We've got small groups meeting throughout the whole week. The other way that you can dive deeper into this is if you text the word GROW, G-R-O-W, to the number 225-307-0662. When you text that, you'll get a link back to a um, home sheet. And the home sheet is going to include the scriptures we talked about today. It's going to include some questions to think about and some ways to put this into practice. And so um, all those things are something that, that your small groups will be using so like I said, if you're not in a small group, join one. You'll be able to dive into it with other people. And I just want to encourage you to, to keep, um, uh, try, you know, text that, GROW, 225-307-0662. And I'd love for you to, to dive deeper into this conversation. Well, I am so glad that you joined us. I look forward to next week as we continue this conversation about the God Jesus knows. And uh, like I said, I'm just so excited you're here. And, and don't forget, I love you, God loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it. I'll see you next week.